Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant. We welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers, a busy edition today, and we hope you are enjoying your weekend. Later, would Kentuckians cut back on fuels and products that emit carbon dioxide in the air if there was a cost associated with it? A bipartisan group called the Citizens Climate Lobby is working for that. Their Appalachian coordinator will join us later. But first, it's been a while since we visited with Kentucky Agriculture Commissioner Ryan Quarles, and he is here with us today. We'll talk about new legislation passed in the recently concluded General Assembly session. What's the outlook for crops as spring has had its fits and starts yet again. Farmers are also getting up and running for the season ahead. They've been greatly expanded during the Commissioner Quarles tenure as far as some of those farmers markets out there. And then there are the political questions. Long considered a likely Republican candidate for governor, Quarles hasn't said a lot about that lately. Will he today? We'll find out. Commissioner Ryan Quarles, welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. Appreciate you being here. Glad to be here, Bill. Got a busy agenda here, right? Uh, we saw all kinds of uh, disruptions and changes during the pandemic. Uh, people seemed to turn uh, more local as they bought their, their produce and their meat and their, mm -hmm. their fresh agricultural products. Is that trend continuing? That's exactly right. If there's a silver lining that came out of COVID-19 that's a positive thing in agriculture, is that more Kentuckians than ever are choosing to buy local which meant that our Kentucky Proud program, which is already highly successful across our state, really got a boost as many Kentuckians like myself learned how to cook again. Our farmers markets are opening up right now. We encourage all Kentuckians that if you want to support Kentucky farmers, visit a farmers market. We have 173 of those. And we have a lot of programs that help promote not just delicious food, but also the experience of farmers markets. It's family friendly. A lot of times there's uh, music and other group activities, but that's a great way to help support local ag agriculture and support your local taste buds. So would you say that the, the farmers markets have completely recovered from any downturn they had during the pandemic? Well, in fact, I don't think there was ever a downturn that we saw Kentucky Proud sales actually increase as restaurants were unfairly shut down a lot of Kentuckians started sourcing their ingredients from farmers markets as well as local meat. If you remember just two years ago uh, when the pandemic hit, uh, there were meat shortages in some of our grocery stores. And one thing that we've done in the past two years was reinvest tobacco settlement dollars into local meat processing. And to this day, I'm proud to report that over 30 processors have utilized our programs and have expanded local meat processing here in Kentucky. And we hope that this is something that's not a fad, but something that's here to stay. With transportation costs being saved by that, right? If you buy more local? There's a lot of issues that we're facing right now, but if we can reduce the average distance that food travels from the farm gate to the dinner plate, which right now is 1,500 miles. When we reduce that, that's less diesel fuel, less energy, and it keeps those profits and revenues local. And so we want to help work with our restaurants, farmers markets, grocery stores, any consumer, including our school systems, to put local ag on the menu. Commissioner, the price of food, though, has skyrocketed in recent months uh, nationwide. We know that. What factors uh, in Kentucky are driving that up? What's controllable and what's not on the state level? There's a lot of factors that go into the price of food at the grocery store and let me be very clear with you it's not it's not the grocery stores or the farmers that's driving this this is record inflation the biden administration has done next to nothing to reduce 
uh, record high 40-year inflation that we're seeing, and that drives up the cost of not just food but other commodities. Fuel prices are up, oftentimes doubling in prices from a year ago, and fertilizer costs are really painful right now for our farmers. And in 2022, a lot of the production decisions have already been made across Kentucky's fields. But my worry is not just the price of fertilizer, but its availability next year for 2023, because the conflict in Ukraine is affecting supply chain issues here in Kentucky, as well as all across the United States. What would you like to see done to lower inflation? Well, I think the major issues that you can do, the economist in me says you have to uh, stop having out of control spending. That when you, when you spend $6 trillion uh, at the national level and print money, something that the state of Kentucky can't do, it's a natural conclusion that's going to devalue the value of a dollar. And that really hurts middle class and lower class Kentuckians because it wipes out the value of one's savings. We also have seen an uptick in interest rates, which is gonna make the cost of doing business uh, more expensive for everybody. But we have to have both monetary and fiscal policy that reflects uh, a policy decision to re reduce inflation. We saw that during the Reagan administration. I think it's time we see it again. Do you think uh, too much money came, uh, say, to Kentucky during the by you know infrastructure spending and that bill and the and the COVID relief uh, bills that passed? Well, it's interesting that, that you call it an infrastructure spending because not much money that was in the infrastructure bill actually went towards infrastructure. And there are some positive things that came out of that. One of the initiatives out of my office is to promote rural broadband. And I think it's time for us to get the job done, especially on the critical and most expensive part of that is the last mile. And of course, we need to keep our roadways, bridgeways, railways, runways open for business as well. But I do think that, that spending your way out of inflation will not work. What was the spending in that bill that, that you have a major problem with in Kentucky? Well, it's that a lot of the spending that was passed by a partisan Congress in Washington, D.C., I think was geared towards rewarding interest groups at the national level. Here in Kentucky, we're so fortunate that we just wrapped up a Kentucky General Assembly that actually diverted some of those ARPA funds towards infrastructure projects such as the Mountain Parkway, uh, a new bridge across to the Ohio River as well. And of course, we gotta make sure that we deploy those funds, especially on rural broadband, so we can connect rural Kentucky. Weather is very hard to predict and impossible to control. Uh, what factors are you watching in terms of crops this year? Because once again, uh, we've had a pretty tough spring. That's right, now for the third year in a row, we've had somewhat of a late start with getting our crops out. So whenever you see a delay, a wet, damp, or cool spring, it's going to affect that critical window, that planting window for farmers across Kentucky. Here in central Kentucky, we're not quite as concerned. We are behind, but now my friends down in western and west Kentucky, they're a solid two weeks behind right now. Some of those producers usually, in a normal year, will have their entire crop out by this point. So what does that mean? Well, it could affect the price of commodities uh, across the entire country, but right now, what you're seeing is a flurry of activity of our farmers getting back out into the fields. And we wanna ask Kentuckians, whether they're in a farm community or not, to share the roadways. We wanna prevent accidents. So if you get stuck behind a slow moving tractor, I know it can be frustrating sometimes, but just remember that Kentucky farm families wanna get home safe to their families just like you. So please share the road during this hectic planting season. I mean, think about where it's going, right, and the That's benefits. Right. But what are the uh, main agricultural exports of Kentucky? 
Well, we produce about $6 billion worth of crops and livestock uh, uh, commodities each and every year, and we export about $2 billion of that. Uh, a lot of that is not just in raw agricultural products such as corn or soybeans, but it's also value-added products as well, uh, such as Kentucky bourbon, uh, where we distill that corn into something that has some value to it. We're also big on timber exports, which is part of agriculture, but of course, uh, the trade guy, the trade side of me, can't talk about Kentucky without mentioning not only bourbon, but also our Kentucky racehorses. I'm also fortunate to be aggressive and help lead trade missions around the world to help export Kentucky agriculture, including this spring where we helped spearhead a trade mission to the United Kingdom, uh, which, uh, which was putting a 25% trade uh, tariff on Kentucky bourbon. I was so proud that when we left after high-level negotiations that working with our principals at the federal level, that tariff reduction is actually going to be reduced this summer. And we have the Kentucky Derby uh, later this week. Uh, Kentucky gets two minutes of the world's attention, and there's no better place to promote Kentucky Proud and Kentucky agriculture than at the fastest two minutes in sports. And I'm so proud that it's not just the Derby that gets us a lot of attention, but a lot of the Derby winners and contenders end up racing in the, uh, in the Middle East, in England, in Australia, in Japan. And so it's not just one race, but it's a castating effect. And two thirds of all the horses that are exported out of the United States have Kentucky roots. Well, that's a busy time for you, more so than people may realize, right? I mean, the Agriculture Department has a substantial uh, oversight uh, at uh, Derby time. That's right. So we use it as an opportunity to not only make sure that animal welfare standards are upheld and our veterinarians are there making sure paperwork's in place, but we also use it as a way to promote Kentucky Proud Foods, especially while we have so many visitors coming to Kentucky. So that means our distilled spirits, our wines, our foods. Just a couple weeks ago, we had a there off lunch where we help remind folks to put a little piece of Kentucky on their dinner plates each and every year. The legislative session has recently concluded, as you mentioned, Republicans uh, pushed through uh, a new budget, uh, substantial uh, spending in, in lots of areas, lots of raises given, some tax changes, some conservative social bills, including abortion restrictions, rules for transgender athletes, funding for charter schools. You served in the legislature. Overall, how do you think uh, they did this year? I thought it was a great session for the majority parties and for Kentucky. Uh, our budget got passed with only three no votes in the entire General Assembly of 138. Unfortunately, the governor vetoed many sections of that, but we have a strong conservative uh, super majorities in the House and Senate that overrode 30 bills, including two of my own, that become law. I thought it was a great session that we had pro-life legislation passed, that we were able to protect our gun rights, as well as a bill to save women's sports. That uh, uh, the governor vetoed a bill that simply said this, that biological boys should not be allowed to play in competitive sports uh, up and through college. And I know that uh, he vetoed that bill, but fortunately common sense prevailed and that we have legislation now in Kentucky that protects women's sports as well. There were two issues that obviously divided Republicans and it will come, they will both come around again, sports betting and medical marijuana. Where do you stand on those issues? Well, when it comes to medical marijuana, we have been focused on hemp in Kentucky. And I think that there's an opportunity for us to use our existing hemp program for the medical benefits, some of which we're still studying and trying to understand by using Kentucky's hemp uh, program. 
Uh, I am open to different versions of medical marijuana, but it depends on what's in the bill. But right now, as Ag Commissioner, we're focused on a robust hemp program. Hemp as, as a substitute for marijuana as the medicine? That's right. There's a lot of components in hemp that we're still studying, uh, one of which is CBD. It's been around for a while. That's one of about 100 different compounds in the floral part of the plant. And we believe that there may be an opportunity for us to use the existing hemp program for medical uh, benefits. And we think that this is something we know there's interest uh, of in our program, but we also need to be uh, realistic that, uh, that if Kentucky wants to join other states, we gotta have the legislative uh, support as well to make that happen. And I think using hemp might be a, a logical way to do that. Sports betting, the state senator who represents your area wants it, uh, Damon Thayer, the Republican uh, majority leader, uh, but they couldn't muster the votes in the Senate. That's right. Uh, the version of it passed the House. Uh, on the Senate side, there weren't enough votes to get it across the finish line. I think that Kentucky needs to be realistic about what a lot of Kentuckians uh, already do. And so we can have a conversation about sports betting, but I also think that it's so important that, uh, that we protect Kentucky values and that we listen to the views of all Kentuckians, but also be realistic about what other states have already done. After eight years in office, two terms, you are term limited. You indicated uh, last year that by the holidays, Christmas, the New Year's, you would have made up your own mind. You didn't say when you would let everybody else know about uh, what you may do next year. Um, what are you going to run for? Well, Bill, I feel blessed to be where I'm at. For a kid that grew up on a tobacco farm and uh, got to experience uh, a really uh, great childhood growing up working and for someone that has spent their life dedicated to Kentucky public service, I feel like I have a strong track record of executive leadership and I also feel a calling right now that I could provide Kentucky if the voters would like uh, more uh, public service and leadership in our state. I'd like to announce that I will be running for governor in the Commonwealth of Kentucky in 2023 because the voters deserve a choice on election day and they deserve a governor that's going to bring us all together and unite Kentucky. You're announcing today you're running for governor next year. That's right. And we want the voters and Kentuckians to know that I'm in this race. We know that it's going to be a long process and that it's going to be a crowded primary and that's okay. As the Republican Party grows, we have to get more used to having primaries. I'm going to have a lot of friends in this. I don't look at it as me running against somebody else. We're all just applying for the same job. But I think Kentucky needs executive leadership that's proven, one that's going to be focused on uniting us, not dividing us, and one that I think will uh, give a message of hope and a positive vision for our state. And so I'd like Kentuckians to join me uh, on June 1st in my home county in Scott County uh, for a, a formal announcement where we will set forth a vision for the Commonwealth of Kentucky. And you'll be rolling out your campaign a little bit ahead of that as I understand you're traveling, right? We are, well, that's part of the job and we will continue uh, to do the job of agriculture commissioner across our state, but also begin that conversation about the governor's race in 2023. And look, I'm really realistic about this. I think that 
that anytime you put your name out there, you have to have some courage. There's going to be some friends that join you. But I look forward for a positive rate, a positive message, uh, one that is a clean race and one that's focused on the issues. Can the Republicans uh, defeat uh, the Democratic Governor Andy Bashir, who has a, a positive approval rating? It shows up around 60 percent in some polling. Oh, I think so. There is an undercurrent across Kentucky right now of people who are dissatisfied. There's a lot of folks that I've talked to on a daily basis across our state that are eager for someone to step up to the plate. They're eager for there to be a choice on election day. And I think that uh, that Andy Bashir is vulnerable across the, uh, for re-election. And I think it's all about making sure that we mobilize uh, the voters and give them a choice on election day. I look forward to that. Commissioner, thanks for coming by and uh, the big news that you've uh, dropped here. We appreciate you coming. Thank you so Thank much. You. We'll be back on WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers in just a moment and we'll talk about climate change, how it might be possible for Kentuckians to impact that. We're back in a moment. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. The Citizens Climate Lobby is proposing putting a cost on carbon as a way to combat climate change. The group says that a strong economy wide price on uh, the carbon could reduce America's emissions by 50 percent by 2030. That's less than eight years away. How would it work? How high are the political hurdles in a country where economic freedom is prized? Joining us now is John Clark, the Appalachian Regional Coordinator for the Citizens Climate Lobby. Welcome. John, good to see you. Thanks for coming in. Thank you, Bill. You know, your group says that uh, the way to reduce carbon emissions is to make it costly to emit carbon uh, uh, into the air by adding a price to fuels and products that produce CO2. Is that the proposal? Absolutely. Yeah, we see uh, climate change and global warming as uh, kind of a market failure. Uh, the failure to price uh, the damages done by fossil fuels to our climate, uh, things like respiratory illness, heart disease, uh, you know, from fossil fuel pollution is not included in the, the price. So it's kind of an artificially cheap uh, option right now. So we want to put a price on uh, carbon pollution and kind of levelize the playing field and kind of incentivize clean forms of uh, energy and and kind of speed the transition that that we already see is happening. How does your group see that rolling out? I mean, would, would simply people would be aware that they would pay one price and then here's the carbon tax, or would it in all likelihood be rolled into the price of goods? So it would be rolled into the price of goods. It would be uh, put on the price of fossil fuels at the source, so at the well, the mine head, or the port of entry where they're imported into our economy. Uh, so that would make sure that uh, emissions would be covered, uh, emissions reductions would be covered nationwide over our, almost our entire economy, rather than just putting it at the pump kind of thing. So to be clear, by design, people would pay higher prices. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, that's where the, the second most uh, important part of this whole thing is the dividend that would be returned. We don't want to address climate change on the backs of uh, low and middle in income earners. So we want to return that revenue back to households equally. It's a way f to incentivize people to reduce their own uh, carbon footprint and keep more of that dividend check. How do you see that working? So uh, we have studies done that about two thirds of people would actually come out uh, a little bit ahead in, in their dividend check because a lot of people's carbon footprints aren't that heavy 
you know, if you're if you're flying to Europe or you know you're driving a Hummer, you're going to pay a little bit more and higher energy costs. What does your group see uh, happening uh, right now with the climate that uh, has the, those members who are involved uh, as aggressive as they are as wanting something like this? So we're a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization. We have a, a kind of a grassroots army. We're a, a, a peaceful army, so we're the, the most pleasant army you could ever hope to deal with. We go in and build relationships with members of Congress. They love meeting with us uh, because we take a respectful, uh, appreciative approach to dealing with, with this issue. Um, so we are hoping to get um, everyone involved in coming to the table and talking about solutions. Your own story is uh, interesting. You were a letter carrier for a quarter of a century. Yeah, <laughs> right. I just retired from the post office as a letter carrier. Uh, I could see the impacts of climate change. I'm working outside all day, as I'm sure most people here can see the impacts. Um, you know, I start to see winters becoming uh, very mild. I saw less snow when I was a kid. I could see snow hanging around all winter long, um, you know, up in Pennsylvania where I'm from. And, um, you know, snow is just basically going away. So. Many critics of doing something fast to try to address this uh, say the U.S. can't go it alone. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you know, what about uh, goods that come into the U.S. from other countries that uh, that have not been uh, treated in this way with a, with, a, with a carbon levy. Yeah, absolutely, um, and that's a good point. You can think of fee and dividend legislation as kind of a three-legged stool. You have that tax on carbon emissions, you have that dividend coming back to households to protect from rising energy costs, and then that third leg of the stool is a border tax adjustment. So that puts a border tax on any imports coming from any countries like China or India that don't have a price on carbon. Uh, on their imports. So that incentivizes them to do something about the carbon emissions in their economy. What about the concerns that other countries do continue to belch carbon into the air and that if America does that, that we have put ourselves at an economic disadvantage? Yeah, so, um, I mean, we've always been a leader in, this, in, in the world. And I think, you know, getting ahead of the game is actually gonna put us ahead with our economy. You know, kind of incentivizing clean energy. Um, you know, a lot of other economies are already uh, transitioning away from fossil fuels. And the EU is actually talking about putting a border tax adjustment on our goods uh, because we don't have a price on carbon. They pay about $86 per or I'm sorry, euros per ton uh, right now. So American manufacturers will be paying the EU's carbon tax. So the incentive is for us to put a carbon tax in place in our economy, keep more of that revenue in in our own economy. In a state like Kentucky, there's a long been a, a strong anti-regulatory stance mm -hmm. among many, uh, certainly uh, in, in politics. We've had the coal industry, for mm -hmm. instance, which mm -hmm. was a very uh, key and important part of the economy here for many years. Uh, isn't the political lift heavy uh, unless you can point to the benefits uh, and, and, and point those out to lawmakers and, and the public? Absolutely. It's, uh, we actually have uh, 96 co-sponsors of the Energy Innovation and Carbon Dividend Act. They're all Democrats. Uh, we want a bipartisan bill. We absolutely need uh, communities like coal communities in Kentucky to come to the table and talk about climate solutions because 
this issue is being addressed by outside en entities. Uh, you know, things like uh, you know clean energy mandates or uh, divestments from fossil fuels or uh, or you know even bans on coal being exported. Uh, these things are all happening now, and it's not beneficial to coal communities. Do you think, uh, I mean, your group has said that there could be a ripple effect in the economy in a positive way if absolutely. we head down this path. Yeah, absolutely. The dividend uh, check would act, act like an economic stimulus, basically. It's going to put more money in people's pockets. We have uh, new battery plants coming to Kentucky. There's uh, one to be near Bowling Green, too, uh, that are being built by Ford near right. Elizabethtown. Uh, we have solar farms that are popping up. Uh, does that give you hope that uh, Kentucky and states like it and surrounding it uh, are open to, uh, to, to, to this green change? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, that's great news. I, I think um, the coal industry, I think, might employ like 4,000 people in Kentucky. This new Ford battery plant, is, I think, is going to employ like 5,000 people. So there's a lot of benefits to kind of making this transition that's happening now. Uh, we just need to speed that transition and bring more jobs into, into places. But John, your group has said that this could happen by 2030. I mean, that a substantial reduction could be done by 2030. Is, is, is that timetable overly ambitious? Well, we always see... When you're saying you don't even have the Republicans on board uh, right. to, to sponsor legislation at this point. Right. Yeah, once we get this policy in place, and we don't consider this a silver bullet, uh, we need a lot of different solutions. Um, it gets us a large chunk of the way to reducing emissions uh, to what President Biden pledged, uh, which would be 50% uh, by 2030, uh, net zero by 2050. Um, but, yeah, we absolutely need... Uh, everyone coming to the table and talking about the solution. What is your next step? I mean, this obviously you're out traveling in, in the area that uh, you're responsible for uh, and, and talking to people. Uh, what's the next step? How do people get more information if they're interested? Yeah, so uh, people can come to our website, citizensclimatelobby.org. You could sign up. Uh, our organization exists for two purposes, uh, to create the political will for a livable world. Um, and the second is to empower individuals to have breakthroughs in their personal and political power. That means we train uh, citizens to meet with their legislators and, and talk about this issue with them and, and have uh, personal power in addressing this issue. When people tell you they're just not interested, is that the end of the conversation? Uh, no, I mean, I mean, we talk to everyone. I mean, obviously we need to, uh, we, get a, we need a lot more involvement from you know, communities like, like this uh, community in, in Kentucky. But uh, again, if uh, we need everyone kind of coming to the table and talking about solutions so we can bring everyone on board. John Clark with the uh, Citizens Climate Lobby, their Appalachian Regional Coordinator. Thanks for coming by. We Thank appreciate you, it. All right. Stay with us. We'll be back to wrap up Kentucky Newsmakers in a moment. We do want to thank you for joining us for this edition of Kentucky Newsmakers. Join us for the latest news throughout the day on WKYT and the CW Lexington. And, of course, updates always on WKYT.com. I'm Bill Bryant. Make it a good week ahead.